This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. When it comes to taking care of people, everyone in business says they want to but very few people put together the action steps to taking care of their team. Tim Metzner, co-founder of Coterie Insurance, makes it his literal mission to build a culture where people not only want to work, but feel inspired and energized at the end of their day. It's a big part of what drew me to this company, to this opportunity, to this industry. There's just such a chance to build a great long-term legacy company. I just love seeing people come alive in their careers because it trickles over into their personal lives and vice versa. Treating people as humans, building a great place for them to work. If you can do that, the impact you can have on a community is massive. We all become better humans when you know that 40 plus hours a week that we're dedicating to work is enjoyable. When we leave energized at the end of the day, when we leave actually wanting to come back and do more work, we just have so much fire to go do other good stuff in our lives. You might think of insurance and grown. But Tim shows how a solid insurance company can really elevate your business. His team leverages their expertise to make sure business owners work on a company, not just in a company, and they're able to keep their companies going strong. Be sure to listen to this episode of Marketing Trends to hear his secrets of satisfying and exciting both customers and employees. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. This is your host, Jeremy Bergeron, Vice President of Media Strategy at mission.org. Thank you so much for stopping by again. Today, we have an awesome guest in Tim Metzner. He's the co-founder of Coterie Insurance. He's that, but he's also a lot more than that. And Tim, thank you so much for being here, man. I'm honored. I know our audience is honored. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it, Jeremy. Yeah, man. I, I, I got excited about checking out some of the things you've done in the past. You know, you have a interesting background. I saw Ocean, was it Ocean's 
programs. Is that what it's called? Ocean programs. Yes. Yeah. Ocean programs. And so I love personally love the spiritual component of your background too. And, and, and really, and you care a lot about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And so immediately I became a fan. I'm like, yep. Okay. He's, he's a homie. (laughs) I want to know kind of where it started for you though, Tim. Typically what I love to do in the beginning is just kind of, you know, what is the genesis of marketing and entrepreneurship for you? Like when did that start for you and what was it? I can't even put a finger on it exactly to tell you when, other than at some point I realized kind of heading into college, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I always tell people like, honestly, it's probably a seed planted by God because I did not grow up around entrepreneurships. Going into college, I probably could not have even defined it for you very well, but I just had this idea that I wanted to be a business owner someday. And I was fortunate enough to get into a, an honor scholarship program at the University of Cincinnati that paid my way through school. Wow. And that program was really built for like the future corporate leaders of Cincinnati. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. We've got great companies like Procter & Gamble and Fit Third and Kroger that are headquartered there. And so they really wanted to kind of fight the brain drain. They created this amazing program really to kind of build the future corporate leaders. I got into the program as part of that, you acquire mandatory co-op, which meant you go to work every other quarter. So ah. most people in the program went to work at Kroger and Fit Third and you know Procter & Gamble and these amazing companies. I went to work for an entrepreneur. <laughs> I, I, met a, I met a guy who had built and sold his first company to eBay. This is kind of early 2000s. And his story just blew my mind, like what he was able to accomplish with a small team in Cincinnati, Ohio that no one had even heard about. And uh, I just wanted to pull on that thread. So went to work for him and decided if I really wanted to be an entrepreneur, the best way to do that is to go work for one, right? So I did that. And you know, one of the things I fell in love with right away is like, there's a million things you got to figure out in a startup. Like anyone who's been a part of it gets that. And I both loved that uh, challenge and kind of self-selected into the the marketing stuff. Like right away, one of our big challenges was customer acquisition. Like how do we acquire users? And this was a direct consumer play. And so I just started reading everything I could, experimenting, learning, and kind of leaning in there. Mm, That's awesome. Are there any books or mentors that kind of pop out and stick out as you started to now go down that path of marketing? Who are some of the influencers or something in that range of that actually helped kind of cultivate this in you? Man, I don't even remember specifics other than I was reading any blog I could get my hands on at the time. It was a lot of like just marketing leaders who were writing blogs. Cool. You know, there was definitely the, the Seth Godins out there of, of the world, certainly like people who are you know, more high level. But this was before like growth marketing was even a term. But there were people who were kind of espousing their own learnings on what it looks like to be a growth. How do you acquire customers in the new kind of digital age? I remember I chose to study marketing in school and I loved my, my program, but it was a marketing program built for like a future brand manager at Procter & Gamble, not digital customer acquisition or, you know, kind of digital marketing era. So that stuff I was kind of learning on my own and, you know, reading whatever blog I could get my hands on. And I remember going to some conferences and, really just like making friends with other people in the space that, um, you know, this is going back 20 plus years now. So it's, it's dated, but I think it was just going, going down whatever rabbit holes I could find. Mm. What style of marketing, I guess, from a tactician, like when you're actually doing marketing, like, were you doing traditional stuff early? Like, were you getting on Facebook and Google ads and doing campaigns? Like, what were some of the early actual marketing you know, things you were doing? Yeah. Well, to date myself, this was pre-Facebook. So there was no social <laughs> <Okay>. media <laughs> at the time. So it was, it was a whole lot of SEO and paid search was, was kind of mostly. But okay. one of the things I loved was like, I got the devil and everything. Like I was doing print media. So, you know, did print ads and magazines. I remember, you know, way back when Google was dabbling in radio and TV as well. So I was doing 
radio, TV, and print in addition to SEM and SEO with our team. And just honestly having a lot of fun kind of experimenting with all different forms and channels uh, and trying to bring it all together and figure out like what was actually working, what wasn't working and got to dabble in quite a bit of everything, honestly, early on. Wow. So when you look now as you know a co-founder and leading the folks there at Coterie, when you look at and think of marketing now, do you still kind of have a, is the wheelhouse pretty big of the marketing mix of things that you're doing? Because you have some, you have cool stuff in traditional, we're in the digital age now. So when you approach marketing now, what does that look like? Absolutely. I mean, obviously it's evolved, right? Like the the tactics are similar, but you know, some of the outlets and tools and things like that have evolved. And I'd be lying if I said I kept up with those very well. <laughs> you know, instead I've hired really smart people who who do a great job of keeping up with trends and, and the latest things. But I do believe it requires like just like a startup, like you gotta be adaptive, right? Like there's so much of kind of test and learn and see what works. And a lot of it just has to start with like. What does the customer want? Meeting them where they are, using that, like speaking to them in a language they understand, communicating to them via means that makes sense to them. Like, I think that's all the same. Now, those means have changed over time. And I think we have to continue to adapt to those. But yeah, I think it's much of the same approach of take a holistic view of like, what problems do they have? And like, let's think about like, how can we solve problems for people and where can we meet them to talk about those problems? So, can you talk about? how Coterie began, right? I mean, you and the two co-founders, you talk about kind of the logic that went into, you know, starting this through API first and what opportunity you saw kind of from the outside looking in. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll share kind of a couple of views of this. One is just kind of my own journey. Uh, the other is our CEO's kind of background. So CEO, co-founder David McFarlane, he's a lifer insurance guy. He'll tell you he's an insurance nerd. He's an actuary through and through. He's been in insurance since he graduated from college. And so he's kind of been pulling on this thread since you know his very early career of like, man, no one is really leveraging data and technology in the way that they could to sell commercial insurance specifically, right? So you can think about insurance to overly simplify it. There's personal lines like home and auto, right? And then there's business lines, commercial, like small business insurance. And while there's been quite a bit of innovation on the personal line side, think Root and Lemonade and some of these kind of famous insure tech IPOs, not as much has happened on the commercial side. So that was a thread that you know David continued to pull on throughout his, his journey in insurance. And then he went to work for a jewelry insurance company called Jewelers Mutual. And they figured out if you embed insurance into a cart when someone's buying jewelry... Uh, turns out like you'll get really good uptake, right? Like you're buying an engagement ring. If I offer you insurance right now as you're buying that, like a couple things. Number one, that, you know, whatever that hundred dollar, couple hundred dollar, whatever the policy is, like compared to the thousands you're spending on that ring, you're like, oh, that's, that's well worth it, right? Number two, like it pretty much eliminates fraud. Like no one's going to buy a ring just so they can buy insurance on that ring and then file a claim, right? So there were some really interesting things that happened at kind of point of sale. And that was another nugget that David just saw and said, man, I think there's opportunities to do that for small business insurance as well, to put it in places of relevance. So that was kind of a thread he was pulling on. For my own journey, you know, I'm a serial co-founder, started a few companies. It gone pretty well, nothing, no massive you know, unicorn exits or anything like that. But one of the things I, I realized a number of years ago was like, we created a company called Differential that ended up turning into a services company, really focused on kind of digital innovation, outsourced like digital product development for hire kind of is a good way to think about it. And at some point I realized like, holy cow, we have 30 people who love their jobs. We have engineers still today, this is whatever, seven, eight years later, who still work for differential 
And I know they get pinged with job offers weekly and we pay decent salary, but we're not top. We're not like the Google, you know, engineer salary. Like that's not why people are staying at differential. Like that's just crazy. Like the thing I realized at some point was like, not only do they enjoy their jobs, these people are more active in their community. They picked up hobbies. They're like better parents and spouses. Like they've kind of come alive, not in their career, but in their lives. And so I started pulling on that thread with myself. I'm like, man, I feel like there's, there's a chance to take a bigger swing. Like what if you could build a company in a space that if it went well, it could go really well. And maybe you could create a couple thousand of those kind of jobs, not just 30. So that's what kind of led me into insurance. Like number one, we were trying to sell digital innovation services into that category. And I just realized, holy cow, you can turn in any direction in commercial insurance and build a company. Like you can almost stumble into building a tech first company. Like there's so much opportunity to, to build with a data technology mindset. And number two, I just loved the, the idea that you could build a hundred year company that could have a massive impact on a community, right? Like look at some of the best cities around the world. Like the people who've been around, the companies that have been around, like they're insurance companies. They've donated millions of dollars to the community. They've created thousands of jobs. They've been around for you know decades and decades. If you want to have impact, like, that's a really cool way to do it. So that was kind of in the back of my mind was like, if I could find a category like that, pair with a domain expert and David, and then our third co-founder, Kevin, is just a massively talented operations guy. And I always learned early on in my journey, like ops is not my forte. If I'm ever going to start a company, I need someone who can keep the trains running on time because that's not my jam. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. It's cool. It's kind of a three-legged stool that you, you guys have you know, the, at being the co-founders of that. We had the VP of marketing at Thimble. Nice. Is it similar to Thimble? It is. Yeah. Similar, very similar approach, actually. Um, they're okay. a little more focused on episodic, like pay, you know, job-based insurance. Right. Right. And we're a bit more on the kind of traditional annual that we can do that as well. And in fact, Thimble's a, a partner of ours now today. So ah. somewhat competitive, but also like friends and partners. <laughs> ah, that's very cool. I, I love the conversation, man. He was a really cool cat and I'm excited about the growth there. And I think the opportunity for Coterie is, is, is massive. I'm beginning to see that more and more by this conversation. So you've got the three co-founders, you've domain expertise, you've got this real desire from you three to build a cool culture, yes. to actually mean it and not just give lip service to the word, the idea culture. And I know culture is important to you. And so I want to kind of understand some of the thinking that goes into building the high performance team there, infusing culture in marketing and everything that you're doing there as a leader. Yeah, I think like it just requires continuous intentional focus. Like it's one of those things early on, it's kind of funny. Like, depending on the investor or the entrepreneur you talk to, like some people will tell you, like, don't worry about it, right? Until there's a there there, until you know you've got a company, like, don't worry about things like culture, like that, you know, and don't focus too much on, you know, values and vision and some of that. And like, man, I just think that's the wrong approach because if things do start to take off and you make it, like, you're going to have a culture either way. Like you can either be intentional about that and create that, or, you know, it can kind of happen on its own. And I just believe like, if you want to attract people who are not only really talented, but just great human beings, you've got to have a vision for the kind of company you want to build. And you want to attract them to that. Like you want people to self-select into your values, your culture into what you're building so that they're really bought into that. They want to be a part of it. They want to take it to the next level, right? And so, you know, early on, like if you decide to focus on it, I think it's fantastic. I think it's actually relatively easy. You've got a small group of people around the table, like you're sharing very openly everything that's going on. Like it is, you know, very much a small team environment. 
as you scale though, like, especially if you're going to raise outside venture capital, right? Like the pressure to go faster, to accomplish more, to hit marks, like just to, to do the blocking and tackling like that mounts. And so it's really easy to start out and say like, we're going to build a great culture, you know, and a great company. And then all of a sudden the pressure starts to mount on the, we got to really build a great company, like really hit some marks, really hit our numbers. And like, it's easy to let this one slip. I think the way you avoid that is like, you have regular rhythms of talking about it. Like, you know, we have a co-founders meeting every, every week still to this day, the three of us get together and say like, you know, what are we hearing from the team? What, what are the, what are the red flags? What are the roadblocks? You know, and most of that ends up being kind of people and culture focused. Like a lot of that, you know, there's some tactical stuff we deal with too, but a lot of it really is like, what are the cultural things that we might need to deal with? So I think creating space for that is important, but that's not just amongst the co-founders. Like you have to have rhythms of hearing from your whole team. As you scale, it gets really easy to lose sight of what's happening on the front lines. Like what's that customer service, that customer advocate hearing and seeing and feeling. So one of the things we implemented is called core coaching. And that just is every three weeks, everyone in the company has a one-on-one with usually their manager, but someone more senior in the company. And that entire one-on-one is focused on hearing from them. So hearing from them about what they're seeing, feeling, you know, thinking we need to do better. And also just about them in their career. It's like, hey, Jeremy, I know you have career aspirations. Those might be beyond Codery. Awesome. Like we want to help you get there. So long as I understand where you're trying to go and you understand where we're trying to go, like we can have this beautiful alliance between us where we're helping each other along the way. And hopefully Coterie will evolve and we can actually help you achieve those career aspirations even within our walls. But either way, we're going to have an open, honest dialogue about that so that you don't get surprised and we don't get surprised. And that in and of itself is a huge part of uh, building great culture because it just builds like trust and openness and transparency that you know I think a lot of companies lack, frankly. Yeah, I think it's important. I think a, a lot of companies will talk about it, you know, and then when it comes down to you know the implementation of creating and cultivating a safe space and a safe container for team members and, you know, and folks to come in. And I love how you kind of frame that of like, hey, you know, we may not be your destination, yep. but we have our destination and there's some alignment of how we can actually, hey, you may go somewhere else, but wow, let's make sure that we're heading there and we're helping you, you know, accelerate your own path. Yep. They also get to be the canary in the coal mine. Like if they're bought into culture, like they'll let you know what they're feeling and seeing and hearing. Like here are some red flags. I'm right. I always ask questions like, who are you working with that's crushing it? Who are you working with that you're worried about? Right. And it's not like, it's not meant to be a finger pointing. He said, she said, it's like, Hey, we care about each other. We're going to lift each other up. If you have right. problems, you should address it with that individual. But I also need to make sure that there's not something affecting your day job. Like my job yeah. is to help you do your best work. The only way for that to happen is to hear from you on a regular basis. How much did you guys raise in the Series A? Uh, 11.5 million in the Series A, um, and then some venture debt on top of that, and then uh, 50 million Series B. 50, yeah. Congrats on, congrats on all that. And then, yeah, thank you. To your point earlier, now you add an extra layer. You know, you have extra fuel, right? But that also adds not pressure necessarily. It can, but like, wow, now you have. You have other stakeholders involved. You've got other, yeah. you know, targets and goals. And so were you part of the active fundraising yourself? Was that kind of year? Were you going out as a team of the co-founders or were you out raising the money or what did that look like? So that's kind of evolved early on. Um, it was much more of a co-founder effort. Okay. And then David, our CEO, took that over and, and basically handled the entire Series B um, himself, which is, you know, as you continue to scale, like it just becomes an increasing part of your job as CEO and founder, right? Yep. One of the other things we try and do at Coterie, you know, for everyone is like, let people leverage their superpowers. 
David is fantastic at externally telling the Coterie story to investors. Like his vision and his background in the insurance world, it just works really, really well to tell that story. So, you know, we want to lean into that and put him in a space to win. And, you know, he did a, a really great job of, of that and then pulling us in as needed to, you know, to answer questions, get through due diligence, things like that. So how are you using data to inform the digital strategy? So it's really interesting. This is actually, I would say, an area of growth for me specifically. Becoming more data-driven as an individual is, is an area of kind of personal growth. The company as a whole does a fantastic job of this. When your CEO is an actuary, uh, you tend to be pretty heavily data-focused, <laughs> yeah. um, which, which works out well. So I realized this. I've always considered myself a data-driven marketer. But it's been harder to lean into that more recently in terms of like making strategic decisions based on data. And what I what occurred to me is like so much of my career has been like zero to one early stage. When you're in the zero to one phase, like you don't have any data. <laughs> like it is almost all gut feel, right? Like you can right. do market research, you can lean into customer, you know, interviews and and look at your kind of early data points. But you know, until you have water running through the pipes, like there's not a whole lot of opportunity to optimize, right? And so I think that's that's what's been interesting for me is like uh, as I start to build amazing people around me is there's a really great opportunity to look at data, you know, across the entire company and and obviously as an API data first organization, like we think about kind of three ways we're innovating: speed, simplicity, and service. So we believe like that's how we're going to innovate across commercial insurance over time. If you think about data, like it can help with every single one of those, right? Speed for us. So on the front end, a lot of the clunky process with insurance is filling out an application. So by leaning into data, like we can actually pre-fill your application or most of your application, kind of depending on our point of sale. Like, are we integrated in a flow where the data already exists and we can just kind of pre-populate your application? If not, can we leverage third-party data to do that? And like, what's interesting is like, not only is that faster, it's oftentimes more accurate uh, than like you sitting down with an agent and sort of guessing about what your numbers are or, you know, fumbling through it kind of quickly. Simplicity, right? Like, again, we're taking that like clunky couple day back and forth process of answering questions and like simplifying it down to like, here's a couple things we need to know from you. We'll get the rest, right? And then service, like you can really start to lean on data to say like, what are the biggest bottlenecks? What are the challenges our customers are having at every part of the journey? Like from the early discovery journey to... I'm now a policyholder and we have multiple stakeholders, right? So we have the policyholders that we serve and we have agents and brokers and partners who are kind of selling Coterie on our behalf. So we can use data to say, what challenges are they all having along the journey? And how might we either build kind of better communication or better tools to kind of alleviate some of those blockers along the way? What, what are some of those challenges that you uncovered that they were having? You know, the biggest one tends to be upfront, just figuring out how to classify myself. Like, if you're not an insurance expert and no small business owner is like, right. you don't know what the insurance company wants to put. Like I'm a bakery, uh, right? And I, you know, I might just write down bakery and then like, there might be a follow-up of like 16 different versions of a bakery. And you're like, holy cow, I have no idea. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to think about this. Right. So we realized like one of the biggest bottlenecks was just classifying. Like, what do you actually do? It's like, okay, if that's true, like we can create some data mappings to make that really easy so that you can use kind of, you know, common language, like let's let you enter something like bakery and then let's do our best job at like answering that, those follow-up questions for you and then let you verify, right? So we can use data to simplify that and then say, is this accurate versus, hey, here's 16 variations of, you know, plumber that you might be. 
tell me which one you are. And, you know, inevitably a lot of times it's like, well, kind of all of those, right? Like now I really don't know what to do here. So mm. that's not a problem we've completely solved, but just identifying that as a, as a big hurdle was like, okay, let's think about like what kind of UI UX approach can we take to solving this problem to make it, you know, a lot easier, or how can we use third-party data to, you know, get all the information we need to, you know, maybe we trim that tree down to three possibilities, right? Instead of 16. Mm, that's awesome. There's two, two things I want to hit on with that. And the first is simplicity. I have such a privilege of getting to connect with some folks, you know, like yourself that are all along the scale, right? Scaling from six to seven figures and seven to eight and eight to nine and nine on up. And so it's interesting to kind of see the through line in these, in these organizations across, across industries. It seems like many of them, a lot of them, I would say the majority of the ones that are quote unquote successful in growth is that idea of simplicity. They haven't added just unnecessary complexity, which sometimes entrepreneurs and humans can do. And I love how that's just a core part of what you and the team comes back to is like, how can we make sure we do this at every stage? Because that simplicity is not going to go, it could go away, but I'm hoping it doesn't and stays through because I've seen how when that through line is there, oh man, I mean, a magic happens literally everywhere, you know, talking about the culture and certainly growth and and really understanding customers and and being at the right intersection of the conversation that's happening with between the customer and yourself. And so I love that you're focused on that. That's cool. I appreciate that. And it's, I think we have to be. Here's the dirty secret. Entrepreneurs don't give a crap about insurance. (laughs) They don't like it, right? It's not something they want to think about. Seriously, like it is something you need, right? Like, and you could argue like, yeah, the government tells me I have to get workers comp for my employees. Like, sure. Also, like it's a social good. Like part of why, you know, many of us were so excited about Coder and the problems we're solving is like, we believe that small business owners like the backbone of America. Like it is where most of jobs are created. Like, it is such a hard job. It's, it's really hard, difficult work. And it's also critically important to our communities. It's crazy. You know, I've, I've seen some stats where as much as like 40% of small businesses don't have insurance. And that, that kind of breaks my heart because what you're doing is putting not just your company and your livelihood at risk, but also those jobs, right? Like those critical employees that you have, have created a, a spot for them to work, to earn a living, to put food on the table. Like, you know, you have one bad event. And you're not covered for that catastrophic event. Like it's game over. You know, right. you don't you don't get another shot. So as much as we joke about like insurance isn't important, no one really cares about it. Like it is critically important for many small business owners if they want to have you know want to be able to weather the storm like literally right and kind of get through that. So we see it as an opportunity to kind of serve them well. And yeah, I think that will continue to be a focus of kind of coterie is like really thinking about how do we serve that small business owner. Yeah. I mean, you hit a soft spot with the SMB world, you know, I'm just, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly that they're so important. Yeah. And especially now, I mean, there's a myriad of reasons why, but they are, they really are so important to the world. And so I love that that's also the focus. It's like, how do we really serve and support these folks and put them in positions to to win and also, you know, help protect them? Yes. Because I know, like you said, entrepreneurs, they don't want to mess with insurance, right? And so yet it's this kind of necessary thing that should be considered is there a lot of education that you're having to do, like telling the story, telling, explaining why? Or are you spending a lot of time on that experience for the, for the possible customer and the customer? Or is it another angle? Yes. No, it really is. There's definitely a lot of information, education that has to go out there. And it's not just directly. You know, We're not a direct to small business 
company, right? We're not trying to target small business owners directly. We go through through partners, but we need to arm our partners with that same information, right? So just teeing them up with language and creating content on our own that can help to answer, really dispel some of the myths or help people understand why it's important, help them think about back to our examples of like a bakery and a plumber, like very different needs or reasons that you might want insurance, right? So having having the ability to kind of talk to people again in a language that actually makes sense to them is really important. And there's thousands and thousands of class codes of businesses that we sell insurance to. So like there's a long roadmap of content we can create to help educate people that speaks directly to them. And we want to empower our partners to do that, certainly, but we believe that's sort of our opportunity as well to create information. And again, honestly, it's not just about insurance either. Like I have a heart for small business. Sounds like you do as well. Like we want to help them be better entrepreneurs. Like Many people don't start a business because they're great at starting businesses. It's because they have a thing they love doing, right? Or they realize they're really good at a thing. So we want to help educate them on like, what does it look like to actually work on the business, not just in the business? Like, how can we use some of our own past experiences as business owners to help kind of educate people along the way, not just about insurance, but about making their business a better business holistically, not just with their insurance needs over time? Mm. I like that. That's great. That's fantastic. What is the role of AI and machine learning right in the future of kind of selling business insurances? And are you using any of that currently in your marketing? Not a whole lot today. Over time, we'll lean into it a lot more heavily. Can't speak to it in, in too much detail today, but I can tell you the way insurance companies historically win is they have a data advantage. Honestly, it's like if you are able to look at different sources of data or data differently than anyone else can and use that to segment and to price differently, you win. <laughs> That's kind of the story of, of insurance companies. And so we believe as a company that has started with data at its core and the ability to actually ingest data from all different kinds of sources, like from our partners, from third parties, from folks, you know, directly, um, you know, from public sources of data. Like we just think there's there's going to be some really unique opportunities for us to kind of segment and look at that over time. You know, as an early stage company, we're not doing a ton of that quite yet, but we've got some early experiments going and, and pretty bullish on our ability to kind of win by leaning into that. Can you give like an example of maybe a, a marketing campaign at Coterie that has performed better than expected? Maybe something where you made some adjustments and it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is happening. Yeah. One that comes to mind is actually, it's kind of a little bit different where I'd call it more of a remarketing effort that actually turned out pretty good. So okay, one of the things we realized, again, is like people don't necessarily love talking about insurance, but they do understand that they have risks as a business owner. One of the things we put together is something called a risk assessment. So instead of saying, here's the insurance thing you should buy, we said, hey, would you like an assessment of the risk that your business has today? Leveraging some data that we have access to, we were able to put together this risk assessment that we could send either to an agent to give to the to a business owner or directly to a business owner that would say, based on where you are, what your business is, what kind of building you're operating in, things like that, like here's a profile of some risks you might have. And here are some ways you can mitigate those risks if that's important to you. Right. So we tested that thinking like, I don't know, maybe it would be interesting. Like maybe people would like it. And I can't share data on it, but I can tell you there was a pretty significant lift in conversion to insurance policies. Like, wow. Turns out when people start to under, like, connect the dots between I'm buying this policy because I have these risks, it makes it a lot more likely that they're going to buy that policy, right? So that was a real interesting one that, that we weren't sure how it would be received. And now we're kind of like, how do we use this more? Maybe even use this upfront before you're even asking at all about insurance. Like, Can we use this as a, as a way to start to help educate people? So that, that one's been 
a lot of fun to to play with. Mm, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I love that. It's like you're helping see where I'm exposed, and that's right. you're you're going to help. I mean, that's I mean, I, that's awesome. And then I love the surprise of like, wow, this is actually makes a significant impact, and we're I mean, the data is not lying. So. And it's adding value, regardless of whether or not you buy a policy, like we're adding value to you as an entrepreneur, like you're more informed and hopefully in a better spot. What are some of the ways that you pivoted at Coterie, like both for consumers and for your own staff in the last 18 months? I'd say for our own staff, it's been somewhat limited because we built Coterie as a remote first company. All three of us co-founders, it's not our first rodeo. We've all started other businesses before. So it was kind of interesting. We got to bring our unique experiences to the table. And one of those things we all agreed on was like, man, there's no reason to limit ourselves to talent just in Cincinnati, Ohio. As much as I love Cincinnati, like sure, there are amazing people all over the place who want to have freedom and flexibility to work for a great company right from where they are. So we leaned into that early on. So we had already built great tools and, and kind of processes and systems for working remote, which has been a, a huge advantage for us. Leaning into the conversation around mental health, though, has been something where, you know, again, we've always focused on our team and wanting to create great space for them. But like, we have an unlimited PTO policy, which many startups do. And oftentimes, like, what that ends up looking like is no one takes vacation. (laughs) They're like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to take. And so, you know, whatever, I'll just keep working. We're like, okay, unlimited PTO, but you have to take two weeks. (laughs) We're going to require you take some time off. And we're going to encourage regularly, like one of the questions we ask our leaders all the time is who on your team is stressed right now? Who needs to take some time and space? Who hasn't taken time off in a while? Like go have a conversation with them and have them schedule something. I don't care if it's an afternoon, a day, a week, like, you know, create some time and space for them to unplug for a while and get and actually honor that, right? Don't bother them when they're off. So I think we've been a lot more intentional about leaning into like, Hey, this has been a weird time for everyone, right? Uh, We're all struggling in very unique and different ways. Like make sure that people are taking time to care for themselves and their families and and those around them. I love that. I think it's similar to, um, I I was working with a a mentor of mine, Alex Sharfin for a a year or so, and they had wellness days and and there was no sick days. Like there was no sick days, but you had wellness days and you absolutely had to take these days. Like you, I think it was nice. I want to think it was like bi-monthly or something. It was like, you're, you're getting like a, a consistent opportunity. It's the whole day. And if you're not, you know, whoever you're reporting to is like, Hey, you, you got to take the day. And so I love how they were really nudging us because to your point, everyone does unlimited PTO now. And a lot of times when you hire amazing high performers and they love what they do, they just keep doing it. Often, sometimes to their own detriment of like, I still need to treat myself like a human and take some time. So I love that. A lot of big organizations are not doing that. um, And and that's okay. um, But man, imagine the kind of culture you can create and the kind of speed you can move when you really, you know, you make that like, hey, you have to do this. And, And, you know, I love that. Startups are hard. Yes, there are going to be long nights and weekends. No doubt about it. Like you have to do that at times. But unless you're building for a quick exit, which we're not, like it's a marathon. Like we want to build a great long-term sustainable company. Like you can't churn through people. Like you just can't do that. And, you know, if you don't have people take time off regularly, you will. Like they're going to burn out. The cost to the business, forget the human side of it, which like it's just the right thing to do. You and I both know that. That's clear, right? Right. But the cost to the business is also significant. Like replacing that burnt out employee, like number one, it's not like they just leave as soon as they're burned out, right? Like they're actually kind of burned out in place for quite a right. bit of time. Exactly. And like that is a drag on everyone around them. Yep. And then when you do realize it and you know, you have to replace them or do something like 
the cost to bring someone new in, like the time investment requires to get someone up to speed. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to treat people like that, uh, again, from a human standpoint or a business standpoint. I love that, man. You you mentioned wanting to have a multi-generational impact on your Twitter bio. How do you use your role like to do that? How are you doing that? What does that look like? I love that, by the way. Oh, thank you. Man, I think I talked about it a lot already. Like it's a big part of what drew me to this company, to this opportunity, to this industry. Like there's just such a chance to build a great long-term legacy type company. I just love seeing people come alive in their careers because it trickles over into their personal lives and vice versa, right? So like treating people as humans, building a great place for them to work. Like if you can do that, the impact you can have on a community is massive. Because again, like we all become better humans when, you know, that 40 plus hours a week that we're dedicating to work is enjoyable. Like we, when we leave energized at the end of the day, when we leave actually wanting to come back and do more work, like we just have so much fire to go do other good stuff in our lives. And so that's a big part of it for me is like, if you can create a great place to work, create great jobs, create an environment where people feel valued and trusted and respected, like there's so much good that, that can come from that. You know, that plus the idea of we want to build a fantastically successful company that, you know, insurance is a great industry with like really great potential for long-term profit. Like to me, like I get excited about reinvesting that in my community and other entrepreneurs and our employees, like that to me is just, there's so much long-term potential there that, that excites me. I love that. It's awesome. Anything else you want to make sure we cover? I've got some kind of lightning round questions we can get into, but this has been awesome. Yeah. One that's kind of near and dear to my heart is this idea of like balance, work-life balance. A lot of people hate the term work-life balance. Like if you hate that term, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like I just, if you like, if that term really bothers you, um, you're probably swinging too far on one extreme or the other. You know, there's no perfect balance. I agree with that. Like that, that is absolutely true. But we have to be really intentional about like, look, for me, I think the greatest impact I might actually have is probably on my four kids, not on my work. Like, I, I think we'll do amazing things through Coterie. Like if my wife and I do our job well as parents, like these four kids might actually do way more than we will. So like, if I truly believe that, like I better be investing in them also. And I better be creating that example for my team of like, you know what? I'm going to go coach my kids. Like, yes, I'm the founder of this company and, uh, and I'm crazy busy. Uh, I'm still going to step away a couple of times a week to go show up at a practice uh, and invest in my kids. And by doing that and setting that example, like it encourages the rest of the team to consider that as well. And like, not everyone should be a coach, but that's an example yeah. of like, what are the ways you can invest outside of work in your community and your family and other ways to impact kind of the world and society around us. So I'm just a, firm believer in like, you can have both. Like you talked about ocean programs early on, like why I created ocean nonprofit I started was like, when I first started uh, my first company, the narrative I was reading about all the time was like, to be successful as an entrepreneur, you got to go all in. Like everything else you got to put on, like friends, family, like hobbies, whatever, all that stuff be damned for a while. Like you're going to go all in for the next five to 10 years. And maybe just maybe you'll make a ton of money at the other end of that. And I'm like, cool. If I do that and I end up divorced with kids who hate me, no real way to spend that money other than like start another company. Like how could I count that as success? Right. So for me personally, I was like, man, I, I believe you can build a great company and make a lot of money doing that and not be a jerk to people around you and not torture your friendships and your family. And like, why can't you do both of those things? So I, I just encourage people. It's different for everyone, what that looks like. And 
I don't get it right all the time, but I have enough people around me who call me on my BS, <laughs> you know, whether it be my wife or my friends are like, Hey man, you're really swinging, you know, to, to this extreme of like working, you know, redlining all the time. Like yeah. we should have a conversation about that. Or like there's other times in my career where my wife's been like, it kind of seems like you're coasting. Like, are you still fired up? Are you like, are you working your tail off? Like, wow. you know, we, we want to have a big impact as a family, like for that to happen, like I'm working hard to run this family so you can go work hard and build a great company. Like, are you still doing that? Like both ways. Right. So I, I think, you know, if you have great people and in, in transparency with, in your relationships, like you can, you can achieve that interesting balance. Mm, that's, that's awesome, man. I love it. We have, uh, we have four at our house too. We've got nice. uh, our four, we have four under the age of four at our house. So that just gives you, you already know what my life is like. I'll just stop there. I've been there. Uh, <laughs> so I think, I think my oldest, yeah, we had four, four and under when, when my, when my fourth was born, he was, oh, cool. he had not turned five yet. <laughs> so cool. I've been there. <laughs> man, dude, it's, it's incredible. What are, what are your kids ages? So right now the boys are nine and eight, oh, wow. Owen and Owen, okay. and then my girls are six and four, and that's Faith and Emma. Wow, that's cool, yeah. man. How about you? How, what ages? Yeah, so I've got um, I have a little girl that's three, and then my partner Stephanie has twin boys that are nineteen month olds, and then another three year old son that's like ten days apart from my daughter. So they're basically twins too. So it's a, it's a wild ride, man. We're still changing diapers on two. Beautiful and, chaos. Yeah, it oh. is. It is. That's how we describe it, man. And we, and, and we love it. And so I, I, I certainly appreciate your remarks on the importance of, man, that's the most important thing for me too. It's like, man, yeah. the, the, the impact, yes, business, awesome, of course. And yes, and <laughs> yes, and which by the way, yes, and has changed my life the last couple of years and will open me up to all kinds of beautiful possibilities as being a, awesome. yes, a yes, and dad an love entrepreneur. That. So love that. that's cool, man. Okay. Let's get into the lightning round, ask cool. some fun questions and uh, we'll wrap. Let's do it. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got Tim Messner, co-founder of Coterie Insurance on. First question, what is the hardest part about working insurance? Oh man. Uh, the fact that you're selling something that people don't want. Right. Like we, t I talked about this earlier on, but it is a need. Look, you don't wake up as an entrepreneur on Saturday, excited to go shop for insurance. That's not a thing. Right. So we've got to, we've got to get in front of you at the right time with the right message. That's a challenge. What is the best part of your role at Coterie? Building into the team, building into the culture, you know, as a, everyone gets to do that at Coterie, by the way, that's not a founder job, but as a founder, I do have, you know, a disproportionate lever to pull there. And, and I, I enjoy doing that. Oh, that's great. As a dad to four kids, how has being a parent changed the way you view your work and career? It's made me way more efficient. Like early on in my career, I was the guy who'd be at the office till all hours of the night, like slaving away. And like, if I look back on that time, like I wasn't that productive. Like, yes, I was getting stuff done, but I'm just as productive today in a lot fewer hours than I was before. Like, you know, you just get better at like relentlessly prioritizing what matters. Mm. Do you have a favorite book or podcast? Man, so many good books. Right now, I'm uh, I'm kind of leaning into John Wooden. Oh, he's excellent. So I've been been just kind of studying. He seems to be one of the greatest leaders all time, and I'm a huge basketball fan as well. So, but pulls on both of the strings for me. But been reading a lot of his stuff lately. Cool, love it. He's awesome. Legendary. I mean, legendary. Best advice for a first time entrepreneur? Don't try to boil the ocean. 
two ways I like to talk about this. Actually, there's kind of two points. One is sell painkillers, not vitamins. Uh, the quick story there is like, if I leave the house in the morning, I forget to take my vitamin. What's the chances of me stopping off on my way to work to get a multivitamin? If I leave with a headache, what's the chances of me stopping off to get some medicine? Very strong. Not to say you can't build a great vitamin company, but early on getting traction and momentum is way easier if you're selling a painkiller versus a vitamin. Part two of that is build a scalpel, not a Swiss army knife. Like we as entrepreneurs, like you probably have a really big vision about like what you want to do someday, which is awesome. You can't lose sight of that. Like don't ever lose sight of that big vision. Also relentlessly focus on doing one thing well first. Like if you do that, it gives you permission to go solve other problems or add on other features or what have you. But Start with doing one thing really well first, relentlessly focus. Tim, thank you so much, for, man, for being here. This is this is exceptional. I um, Yeah, I mean, I'm just appreciative of your path and your journey. And of course, being a fellow dad and entrepreneur, I'm in this with you, man. And uh, this has been, this has been fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the questions. Awesome interview, Jeremy. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, sir. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.